It is another TGIF edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. And I know you're thinking, oh yeah, thank God it's Friday, right? No, no, no. Thank God it's football. Thank God it's football Friday. TGIFF to, to give TGIFF. Thank God it is football Friday. We are less than 48 hours away from the Cleveland Browns walking into NRG Stadium to take on your Houston Texans. You're eight and three Houston Texans. The Browns four, six, and one. This is a big one for the Browns from playoff possibility opportunity. That's what they're thinking about after two wins in a row, after being two, six, and one. They got two big wins, one against the Atlanta Falcons, one on the road last week where they led twenty-eight to nothing at halftime against the Cincinnati Bengals, and then obviously held on for a 35-20 win against the Bengals. They dominated that game. They're feeling good. They're young. They don't know any better. They've got a rookie quarterback. They've got a rookie uh, at their number one corner spot. They've got a rookie in the backfield at running back who is a stud. They've got it going in the right direction, no doubt about it. They're going to be a playoff team in due time. I'd rather that not happen in 2018, and I'd rather them not get win number five on Sunday against the Texans. It'll be the first time the Texans take the field at noon since the game against Buffalo. Think how long ago that was. That was week six. What are we What are we in now? Week 13? I think that's week 13. This will be game number 12. So, yeah, week 13. Seven weeks ago was the last time the Texans played at noon. It was against Buffalo. Three primetime games. You got the Cowboys. You got the Dolphins. And then you obviously had the other one Monday night against the Tennessee Titans. And you had bye weeks mixed in there. So, you haven't played on a Thursday at noon. So, hopefully the Texans will come out of the gate strong and ready to go against a team that is much better than the one they faced last year in 2017 where the Texans got a 33-17 to win. Now, we've got plenty for you on the show. we got our Deep Slant interview of the week, which is with Mr. 97-yard touchdown run himself, Lamar Miller. We're going to have my buddy Russell Baxter on the show to go through everything that's going on in the NFL. We will do our Men Behind the Mics series, and we will continue that with Jim Donovan, the play-by-play voice of the Cleveland Browns. I will give you my picks And I will give you keys to the game as brought to you by First Community Credit Union. And then we will close with our players segment, a little bit of KJAC TV, and a little bit of former NFL player and current Houston Texans GM, Brian Gain, with the game plan. So we've got plenty for you. So let's kick it off with some hot reads. They're brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And when we kick off every Friday, that means we start with the head coach himself, Bill O'Brien, who sat down earlier today with Mark Vandermeer right here in studio. Coach, how important is veteran leadership at this time of year? Short week, every game gets bigger as you get toward the end of the regular season. Yeah, I think it's critical. I think that uh, when you have good veterans in the locker room, which we do, led by our captains and then other veterans that have played a lot of football, played in a lot of big games, they can give good advice to the young players that maybe sometimes goes in one ear and out the other when it comes from a coach. You know, And I think that uh, – that's uh, that's critical, is, and, and and we have that. You know, we haven't uh, we haven't always had that, uh, but we we've got it this year. We definitely have it this year. Cleveland is very accurate in the passing game recently. What are you seeing there in that phase of their performance? Baker does a good job. Um, you know, he he really understands uh, coverage. Uh, he makes good post snap decisions. The ball comes out quickly. He's a very decisive quarterback. Uh, I think they're doing a good job protecting for him. He's got Jarvis Landry. He's got Najoku. He's got Chubb out of the backfield. You know, he's got some weapons, and uh, he, he's done a good job of, of playing really well in the basically, I think it's seven and a half games that he's played. 
are they a pass to set up the run kind of team or a run to set up the pass kind of team? What are you seeing? We'll have to see. I mean, I think they've done it either way when you look at their games. Uh, you know, Chubb is very good. So if you let Chubb get rolling down the tracks, like I always say to our team, you're in trouble because he's hard to tackle. He's like a – he's got really good strength, uh, big big lower body, very hard to tackle. So we've got to do a great job of set, setting the edge and building a wall. And then, you know, hopefully they're in some long yardage situations because if they're in short yardage situations – you know, it's going to be a tough day. I know your running game and the recent success and success all throughout the season is a in concert kind of thing with the offensive line, right? So you're seeing yep. good development there? Yeah, I, th- I think our offensive line is probably one of the more improved units on the team. Uh, they work really hard. You, you know, you guys are out at practice. You're out at the beginning of practice. The after practice, the, Nick keeps them out there. Sunil, Zach Fulton, they keep them out there and they do extra work every single day, including Fridays. You know, it's pretty interesting to watch. You know, the, the leadership in the room is really good. Mike Devlin does a great job coaching them, and uh, they've really worked hard to get better. They take a lot of pride in their improvement. It's pretty good considering how young they really are. I mean, it's not like yeah. Nick has been around 10 years. No, 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 and he's uh, he's just a very – you know, from the day Nick walked in here, he's been a very uh, mature guy. Of You know, he, obviously with his brother up in Dallas, uh, you know, the type of family he comes from, he's a very hardworking guy, very professional guy, and so he's – He's been a leader since he walked in the door here. He's just had to deal with injuries, which, knock on wood, he hasn't had to deal with this year. He's he's probably banged up, but nothing serious, and, and uh, his leadership has really shown through. Cleveland on defense, they take the ball away. What makes them effective? How do they do it? Yeah, they're plus 14. Them and the Bears are the are the top two teams in the takeaway-giveaway ratio, and uh, you know they, they have a pretty equal amount of uh, interceptions and fumble recoveries, which is rare. You know, And so they, they do a great job. They, they confuse you with their scheme. They have guys free in the rush, you know, strip sack, uh, batted ball, you know, disguise of coverage. It's a, it's a wild card defense that you better be alert for because that's going to be the key to the game. Probably the main key is, is our ability to take care of the ball and see if we can uh, take the ball away from them. Well, we're after Thanksgiving, and you've always said around Thanksgiving you get to know what kind of team you have. The formula you've been winning – with, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's so important to stick to that, right? Yeah, I think so. I think I think one thing that maybe uh, you know hasn't gone as noticed because you know offense and defense get the most uh, attention, obviously. But but I think our special teams has really helped us. You know, we're we're, we're in the top five in the league in average drive start. You know, we're, we're our field position has been really good, and and we've held teams to to you know poor field position, and I think that's been big. And I think over the last five six games, we our turnover takeaway. Uh, margin has been pretty good too you know our ability to take care of the ball other than the Washington game and then our ability of our defense to take the ball away has been good and that that has to continue and then obviously you know being balanced on offense stopping the run on defense that's going to be a big big thing going forward coach thanks a lot good luck thank you Vinny coach has been preaching it for weeks we haven't done anything we've won three in a row four in a row five in a row six in a row seven in a row eight in a row haven't done anything the Colts are breathing right down our necks the other two games back but a loss by us on Sunday a win by the Colts down in Jacksonville all of a sudden turns 8-3 and three into 8-4 and four against 7-5 and five, and the Colts win that one, then we'd be tied with them at that particular moment at the top of the AFC South. So, taking care of business one week at a time has been the mantra that Bill O'Brien has been selling to his team. They've been buying and they've been delivering and hopefully Sunday will be another opportunity for that to happen. So, Let's get into our second hot read. That is the injury report. Now, most times we go through the injury report and it is it's lengthy. Now, this one is really no different. This one is lengthy. It's a little bit longer than usual. 
just because there are that many names on it. But when you have the Friday injury report, the one thing you're most concerned about is the status. That gets determined with this injury report if you're playing on Sunday. Now, last week, playing because we were playing on Monday, that report didn't come out till Saturday. But when you're playing on Sunday, it always comes out Friday afternoon. The Texans only have two players listed as questionable, out, doubtful, whatever. That's it. Uh, they got a bunch of names on the list. QT, Fulton, Hopkins, Jackson, Joseph, Calente, Watt, Blue, Cole, Coven, Cunningham, Edgefor, Merciless, Peters, Reed, Thomas, Thomas. But only two are listed as questionable. And they are two hugely important players. One is Kiki QT, the wide receiver who injured his hamstring in the game against Tennessee. And also J.J. Watt, who's been dealing with the knee issue. So those two are questionable. I it's, it's I just be honest, it's so weird to see J.J. on injury report as questionable or out. Or I mean, the two years that he was out, he got he was injured. He was immediately put on IR, so we never saw him on injury report. So seeing him on injury report is just weird. But to even see questionable next to his name is is kind of strange. But he's been dealing with the knee issue, and hopefully he'll be ready to go. But he is questionable as of right now for Sunday. Hopefully he's okay and ready to go. But if not, they'll have to go uh, without him. Whitney Merciless have to step up. Devin Clowney have to step up. And obviously the interior guys, Cove and DJ Reader and Brandon Dunn, they'll have to step up in J.J.'s stead if he's not able to go. Now, QT being questionable, I think we anticipated that. I don't have a read one way or the other on this one. Really don't. Last few weeks, I kind of had an idea of, yeah, I think he's going to play. I'm not sure he's going to play. You know, I had a, a decent read. I don't have a read on this one, so I'm not sure. I think that literally will be a game-time decision, so we'll know uh, 90 minutes before kickoff on those two. Now, for the Browns, they have one player out, offensive lineman, Austin Corbett, the rookie out of Nevada. He is out, but two important players that were limited in practice today are questionable. One is J.C. Treader who's been dealing with ankle issue. He's the starting center. And Demarius Randall is questionable dealing with a hamstring. He had an interception last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. How do I know that? He handed the ball to Hugh Jackson. That's how I know that. So that is the update on your injury report. Now, one name I think is really interesting is Dylan Cole. Dealing with both, both a wrist and a knee issue, he's in. And he is ready to go. And that is the best news. I think... Last year against the Browns, Dylan had one of the best plays all year when he had the interception running with Duke Johnson down the sideline, looked up, caught it. Fortunately, in that play, he ended up injuring his hamstring, and he missed a significant portion of time. But having Dylan Cole back on the field is going to be great. Love seeing him in the lineup and seeing no designation next to his name, questionable or out. So there you go. Watt QT questionable on the Texan side. Randall Treader questionable. Corbett out on the Brown side. So there you go. Those are your hot reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Coming up, it's a deep slant interview of the week with our good friend D.P. Sidhu. And this week it is Going out Houston Lamar area teachers. Miller. You want to bring a little sex to football in your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Materials, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Materials is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Materials to learn more. So there you go. If you got a teacher that you know or your teacher yourself, got a good way right there to teach football in your classroom and teach a little math doing it. How about that? I used to do that a long time ago, but then again, I was a former football coach slash math teacher. So it just seemed to fit hand in glove, if you will. Welcome back to the show. Texans All Access 
on this wonderful Friday evening. Glad you are with me. We're less than 48 hours away from Browns v. Texans, but also an announcement that will come at some point during the game on Sunday, and that is the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl between SEC and Big 12. Now, that will be decided over the weekend. We've got a full conference championship slate. Now, how does that impact the Texas Bowl? Well, it will every single year, and here's how. Last year, the SEC had two teams go to the playoff in Georgia and Alabama, and then they had a third team, Auburn, was invited to go to a uh, New Year's Six game. So that was three teams that went to a New Year's Six or football playoff. So what that does is it pulls away the number of teams that can then be available for the pool that includes the Texas Bowl and the Outback Bowl and the Gator Bowl, et cetera, for SEC teams. So this year there could be one. There, uh, there could be one team for the playoff. I, I don't think two will make it. I don't think Georgia and Alabama can make it, especially after playing this weekend. So I think there will be one team that goes to the playoff, Georgia or Alabama. I think the loser of that ends up being a New Year's Day six team. And that might that might be all. Now, you might get LSU maybe in a New Year's six game. But that loss to A&M eh, could make it a little dicey. But either way, the impact of those that game, Georgia-Alabama could play a role in the Texas Bowl because maybe if if Georgia wins, then that gives a little bit more credence to what, what LSU did. LSU beat Georgia, then maybe LSU moves up a spot, maybe LSU ends up going to a New Year's Day Six Bowl in addition to Alabama, in addition to a playoff team, Georgia. But if Alabama wins, then maybe it's just Alabama goes to the playoff, Georgia goes to the New Year's Day Six game, and then LSU ends up in the pool for SEC teams. So that Georgia-Alabama game becomes important to what happens at the Texas Bowl. On the flip side, the Big 12 is, I don't want to say the same vein, but if Texas wins, then I would imagine Oklahoma is going to get a bid to a New Year's Day 6 game. They will have finished 11-2. and My guess is they would go to the Sugar Bowl. The Sugar Bowl is supposed to, like the Texas Bowl, pit SEC versus Big 12. So if... My guess is if Alabama beats Georgia and Texas beats Oklahoma, you could see a rematch of Georgia, Oklahoma, and a Sugar Bowl. But I don't know if they'll I don't know if they'll want that, but that that could ultimately be the case down at the Sugar Bowl. Now, we'll see obviously what happens there, but my guess is if Oklahoma wins, then Oklahoma will be the team that goes to New Year's Day six. At that point, Texas would be 9-4. I don't know if they could hang out to a New Year's Day 6 bid. So at that point, only one team from the Big 12 would go to the playoffs slash New Year's Day 6, which opens up all kinds of options then for the Texas Bowl and then the Alamo Bowl, etc. So those results, Texas-Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, Georgia-Alabama in the SEC championship game, are going to have a huge impact on what happens with the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. Now, the teams that are available in the Big 12 that could be available, you're going to have TCU in the mix, Oklahoma State in the mix, Iowa State in the mix, Baylor in the mix. Those four, I would imagine, would be in the mix for the Texas Bowl on the Big 12 side. On the SEC side, you could have Auburn. 
You could have Mississippi State. You could have A&M in the mix, but I think A&M's going to go to a to a Florida Bowl. That's just that's, that's my feeling, is that A&M would end up going to either the Outback or the Gator Bowl after the season that they've had. So Auburn, Mississippi State, those two make some sense um, uh, in the SEC side. Now, again, a lot of that will change. If Georgia wins the game, then you could end up – that could change things significantly. But I think on the Big 12 side, if Oklahoma wins, then you're, the Texas Bowl is going to have – I would say have its pick of Big 12 teams – considering where it sits in the bull pecking order, et cetera. So SEC versus Big 12. Potential matchup, Auburn-Baylor. And how fun would that be? Jared Stidham going against his former team, Baylor. That would be kind of fun. So you got you got that possibility. You got Mississippi State-Baylor, Mississippi State-Iowa State. You got Iowa State-Auburn. You got some. You got Oklahoma State could be in this game after a couple of big wins. So you've got, you've got some opportunities, I think, for some really good, some really interesting and intriguing matchups for the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. And that we will announce during the game on Sunday. So make sure you're listening to Mark, Andre, and myself to uh, make sure you hear that bowl announcement first during the game. And plus listen to us just because you want to listen to us. So there you go. All right, let's get into our deep slant interview of the week. This week it's the man who went 97 yards to the house. The only man to do it twice, 97-yard runs twice in his career. He did it once in, uh, with the Dolphins. He did it once with the Texans. And I think the 97-yard run on that night with that call from Mark, it'll be one of the top five plays, I think, that I've seen. Maybe one of the top three plays. Maybe the top play. I don't know. But it was an unbelievable play, and Lamar Miller sat down with D.P. City. All right, joining me today, Lamar Miller. Lamar, how's it going today? I'm good. How about yourself? Well-rested after the late game? Yes. On Monday night? Yes. Yeah, I'm rested too. Uh, you're on pace to have over 1,100 yards this season. That's after missing a game. Do you feel like this is as good as any season you've had so uh, far? So far, I think so. Um, you know, the offensive line, they've been doing a great job of giving me the opportunity to, you know, get positive plays. So, um, you know, I get all the credit to them guys. I'll get to that in a little bit. But first, let's talk about the 97-yard touchdown run. You know we got to talk about that. Bill O'Brien was saying on his show that if he knows anything about you, is that you're pretty laid back, but the guys were giving you a really hard time after you got caught. And I think it was against Miami, right? Yes. You were making a run, looked like you are head for the end zone, got stopped a little bit short. And he said that after the guys give you a hard time, he said, I'm pretty sure that's the only thing that Lamar was thinking about yes. during that game. Yes. When I was running the ball, my whole mindset was, just don't get caught. You know, I was running, and then I seen Jackson coming towards the end. And then I tried to, you know, turn over, like have some turnover speed to just try to get in the end zone. But, you know, I'm thankful I got in the end zone. That's 97 yards is a long time to go without getting caught by anybody. I I know, man. You put the pressure on yourself (laughs) on that play. I know, right? (laughs) All right, so I saw Next Gen Stats clocked you at a max speed of 21.05 miles per hour on that run. Uh, I think my treadmill at home goes up to 12. Like, that's the top speed. You were, yeah. like, at 21 at your max speed. When's the last time you ran the length of a football field that fast? Because you don't sp- probably do it in, in in season, do you? Yeah, during the season, I don't run I don't run that much. The furthest I'll probably run during the season is probably, like, 20 yards. And I don't even think it's full speed. Right. The only time I really run full speed is, like, when I'm training during the off season, But it's not 
over like 50 yards. So that was something different. Yeah, because you can't prepare for a run like that until it actually happens in the game. Yes. Are you going to change that now? Maybe you should start practicing. I don't know, <laughs> I know if you need the practice, but. Yeah, I don't know. I just got to. I think it just all comes to, you know, just being in shape, you know, just keeping your stamina and, you know, just try to keep it going. Yeah, I talked to you before in training camp, and you had talked about how you'd lost seven or eight pounds. You wanted to focus on your speed. You said you were the fastest one in that locker room. So you had a lot of confidence. But I wanted to ask you, what do you think made the real difference this offseason for you as far as getting your speed to that level? Um, I just think um, – Like are there workouts or something? I think my overall do? trainer, you know, with my trainer. And I just say me losing weight to, to get back in great shape. And I just say the things that I eat. That My helps diet. with your speed? I think so. Just lightens you up a little bit? Yes. Um, this year I feel great. You know, I've been doing a great job of just taking care of my body and, you know, um, eating better. You know, we have a lab been doing a great job of just making sure we're on top of our, our diet. So uh, they've been keeping me in good shape throughout the course of the season. So I'm feeling good. All right. I read somewhere that you used to train with Frank Gore, like early in your career. Yes. What did you learn from him? He's like 14 years in the league. You're seven, so mm-hmm. I imagine a lot of that, how to take care of your body, came from a guy like Gore. Yes. Um. You know, Frank Frank Gore, he's a guy um, I've been watching since he was at the University of Miami. I used to always play against his cousin growing up, so he used to come to the games. And, you know, once I got to the NFL, we had the same agent, so my agent was just telling me, a guy like Frank would be somebody I could look up to to see how he trained. And ever since then, I think until, what, my first year here? Until, like, my first year here, I was training with him. So it was, like, five years that I, I was working out with him. And just see the, some of the things that he'd he been doing throughout the course of, you know, the off season. that's something that, you know, I try to follow, and it's been happening so far, so... Are you impressed with how long he's been in the league? Yeah. Or did you kind of know that when you're working out with him, this guy's going to last for a long time? Yeah, I mean, the way he trains, the way he takes care of his body, you could tell that he he's a very professional guy. You know, he trains like three times a day. So He does? Uh, yeah. So um. So did you train three times a day too? Yes, when I first started. Now, now <laughs> I do like – You're on the Frank Gore program. <laughs> yeah, now I do like two times a day, but he do like three times. He, he work out in the morning. In the afternoon, he'll work out again. Then at night, he do like boxing and stuff. So, a little bit of little bit of cross training. Yeah, I know. When you first signed here, you talked about how you wanted to get a lot of carries. You wanted to carry the rock, and that was sort of the plan with you. But this season, it's interesting because, like in Sunday's game, you rushed for 162 yards in the touchdown, but you did it with just 12 carries. And Bill O'Brien was talking about how they're sort of managing your reps this year, you and Alfred, trying to keep you guys fresh when you're out there. And he said it's sort of a conversation that you guys have in game. So how does that work? You're in the game, and, you know, how do you decide, like, I'm going to stay in for this play or I'm going to come out? Like, how does that go? Does that change from game to game, or do you go on your field? Well, uh, I think Coach, our running back coach, I think him or O'Brien, they do a great job of doing that. Uh, I'm not sure how they do that. It's just – depends on how the game go. I I guess if I have a lot of carries, you know, in one series or two, we'll rotate with me and Blue. And so far it's been working. You know, we just – me and Blue, we, st- we stay on each other to make sure we're keeping the chains moving and, you know, help this – try to help this team be a more balanced offense. So it's not like something where you have to say, hey, I feel like I could stay in or I could come out. It's 
do, do you communicate at all in yes, that? Yes, my coach, you during the course of the game, he asked me how do I feel. Okay. If I tell him I need one, then blue will go in. Okay. And it's just the feel of, of the game. Is that much. hard to do as a back? Because I imagine you want to be in there for all the plays. Yeah. But, and then the adrenaline's going too. Yes, it, it, it just all depends how the game going. I just feel like if I'm having a good game, then, of course, I want to, you know, go back in there because I'm, I'm feeling it. But I, I think our coach, he do a great job. He know when you're feeling it. So, you know, he, he will keep you in to, you know, just keep moving down the field. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Alfred because a lot of teams have competition at different positions, but it seems like you guys really feed off each other and you guys push each other to be more competitive. How have you thought about what he's done this year? I think he's been doing a great job. You know, he's been taking advantage of his opportunity. You know, uh, man, Blue, we clicked ever since I came here. So, you know, we still on each other, make sure we're doing our assignment, make sure uh, we try to do anything to help this team win. And I think so far we've been doing that. And, I mean, we still have room for improvement, but, you know, every day we're just trying to get better. It seems like both of you guys, your yards per carry has gone up significantly, but for Blue and for you, staying fresh and just managing your reps, that both of you guys are playing sort of at your optimum levels like this. Yes, I mean, we get all the credit to the offensive line. You know, um, throughout the course of the week, we just tell them, just get us to the second level. And, you know, once we get there, we just got to take advantage of it and just make big plays. I was going to actually ask you, because I know every time you talk about having a good game, you give credit to the O-line. You always say it's due to the O-line. But early on this season, the O-line was young, and there were a lot of different combinations of players out there. So how does that affect your decisiveness to run the ball while they're still trying to get that chemistry going? You, I would imagine you'd have to be even more decisive. Yes. Um, I mean, I just trust that they they do their job just like they trust me to do my job. So, you know, just knowing whatever play O'Brien call, that they get movement up front, and me uh, just trusting them just helped me be decisive. Uh, JJ was asked about your 97-yard touchdown run and, and how – aware the defense was of the play as it was going on. I think a few players said they could hear the crowd, so they stopped to look, but they're making their adjustments. How about for an offensive player? Do you watch a lot of what the defense is doing on the field? They had that big st- that fourth down stop right before your play. How much are you able to watch what the defense does? I watch every now and then. Sometimes I'm over there with the coach just going over some of the plays that we ran be- in the series before. Sometimes I watch on third down because we're about to get ready and go up. And on that play, it was fourth and one. So, you know, I was paying attention to Yeah, because you knew you were, you were going to yes. come in at some point. Yes. <laughs> All right, so final stretch of the season. What's going to be the main focus for you? What the, do you think is going to be the key for you these last few games? Just try to get better every day, continue taking the coaching, and, you know, um, just continue to be consistent, taking advantage of the opportunity that, you know, the offensive line give me, and just continue to be decisive and, just try to help this team win anywhere as possible. Yeah, more 97-yard touchdowns. You're the, you, you're the first to do it <laughs> twice, and so now you can do it three times. Yes, that's the goal. Hopefully we don't be in that situation to be <laughs> backed up. So, But I'm looking forward to more big runs. To- Man, I love it when 2-6 gets out in space. Boy, he's had a really good year, I think. I think he has been really, really good. And I think he'll have a strong finish to this year, which could ultimately in the AFC put him in Pro Bowl contention. Who knows? But – Hopefully none of these Texans play in the game because that would mean they're going to the big one, Atlanta. But that's way down the road. It's just care of this one that is in front of us, the Cleveland Browns. All right, we get back. It's time for my good buddy Russell Baxter to join me, and we'll talk about things going on in the NFL, including that 13-10 win for the Cowboys last night. What a big one for them. We'll talk about that and then some right here on Texans All Access.
The Choose Fun Moment of the Week is brought to you by Carnival. Official cruise line of the Houston Texans is this. Second and 10 at the Tennessee 12. Can the Texans keep it going? Deshaun gets the snap. Deshaun looking, firing right side of the end zone, and caught for a touchdown. Demarius Thomas with the reception. Welcome to Houston, DT. Don't forget to enter for your chance to win a cruise every week if the Texans catch a touchdown just like that. Courtesy of our friends at Carnival, the official cruise line of the Houston Texans. Choose fun. All right. Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, joined now by my good friend. On Twitter, you can follow him at BaxFootballGuru. Fan side NFL spin zone. The man does it all. He knows the NFL as well as anybody. He is Russell Baxter. Russell, how are you doing on this Friday evening, my man? I'm doing very, very well. And I got to throw a shameless plug in there because uh, for people who enjoy what I do and, and what a lot of my colleagues do, uh, have a new Twitter page called NFL underscore vibe, V I B E. That would be Julie Voigt, who does a lot of Colts writing for yes. John. Yes. Voigt's insights, Baxter's expertise, V I B E vibe. There you go. Love it. At NFL underscore vibe. Or you can follow Russell at Bax Football Guru. All right, Russell. Thursday night was very interesting. I, I had heard that the TV rating number in New Orleans was. 58, which is just insane, but it showed you how important this game was to the city of New Orleans, even though it was being played in Arlington against the Cowboys. The Cowboys walk out of there with a 13-10 to victory, and I, I don't want to say the Cowboys kind of put a stake in the ground and said, hey, maybe we're going to be around this thing in 2018 in the playoffs, but what do you think overall of what you saw last night from both sides, the Cowboys and the Saints? Well, who would have thought that the rating number would have hit the over and the yeah. game wouldn't? Yeah. So 23 points at the walk in the park for, for the Saints ordinarily. But it goes to show you that even in this age of space-age technology when it comes to the passing game and all the points we've seen, the 54-51s and the 48-40s, defense still has a role in this league. Yep. And, you know, Dallas really outplayed them from the get-go. Uh, you know, New Orleans, for lack of a better word, Drew Brees looked on the skittish might be totally a little much, but certainly uncomfortable. He never, there were very few throws he made last night where he looked like he was set, like he knew what Dallas was doing. Um, You know, so kudos to Rod Marinelli and their coaching staff and, and everything they did. I thought that, I thought the Cowboys were very physical last night too, as well on both sides of the ball. Um, I'm one of those people that, and I've said it for a while now, Whoever plays some defense down the stretch here is going to win this whole thing. And you look at some of the better defensive teams around the league, they're having good years. Dallas is certainly one of them, Chicago, and certainly the Houston Texans as well. Yeah, no question. You know, it was interesting because that game last night, Russell, it reminded me a lot of the Sunday game that we played against the Cowboys, a 1916 game that went into overtime. And and obviously DeAndre Hopkins has the spinorama play that puts us in position to win that game. But – it reminded me of that because you could almost hear the hits coming through the television. It was that physical. And that was kind of the way that the Cowboys and Texans played. And it also reminded me of one other game, and I, I know people won't remember this, but back in 2015, we played the Saints here. And we ended up winning that game, I believe it was 24-6. to And it was the first time, and I think it may be the only time that it's happened, that Drew Brees did not throw. Drew Brees in an offense did not score a touchdown 
Breeze and Peyton had always scored a touchdown in a game. It was the first time that they had not scored a touchdown in an NFL game, and that was after, I think, like eight years of being together, eight, nine years of being together. And so it sort of reminded me of those two games, the fact that the Cowboys-Texas game was very physical, and then the Texans were able to hold the Saints in check. Now it's a different offense. It's much more explosive uh, with the Saints now than it was. And so it sort of makes that Cowboys performance that much more impressive does it make them, do you think, Russell, viable in the NFC, or do you think it really comes down to Saints-Rams over the NFC? No, I think it makes them very viable, and I think the, the Bears are very viable. And um, if Minnesota can kind of get its act together, we're going to learn a lot about Minnesota Yes, the next two weeks um, at New England um, and then the Thursday night game with Seattle. So, um, And that's a team that's playing physical football. So, um, yeah, no, the Cowboys game plan is portable. Okay, you can take that anywhere. True. Um, a team that had troubles winning on the road um, as of late. Uh, I'm sorry, early in the season, it's kind of turned that around as well um, with the wins at Philadelphia and the wind of, at, at Atlanta. So, um, yeah, physical football always works. It probably works more now in this day and age. Although I will say that there was one very egregious hit in that game last night. Yeah. Which for the life of me, and I'm not saying it had anything to do with the outcome because the Cowboys still made the play picking off Drew Brees after they had fumbled the ball and all that. Yeah. So, um, but that blow to that, that's helmet to helmet. And you and I talked before this season began. My concern with that rule, the lowering the crown, was how was it going to be enforced? Yep. And I don't know about you, but, and even though it's kind of died down now, I've seen early in the season, we saw more putting the weight on the quarterback calls than lowering the crown calls. Yes. Um, the crown and the helmet calls. And, you know, there have been very few of those lowering the crown helmet calls all year, to be honest with you. You know, it's interesting you say that, Russell. I, I We had a conversation with one of the Texans' defense alignment, and he said – in one of the early games this year that when he was going to hit a quarterback, and I think it may have been Brady, that when he hit him, he was very conscious of the fact that he couldn't land on him. So he kind of mm-hmm. he kind of slid off to the side. And so it, a rule like that is, is making an impact. Unfortunately, they've kind of peeled that back after some of the controversy with all that. But, you know, we'll see that, I would imagine, in the offseason, kind of come back, and, you know, the players will, will have to adapt to it. But I, I'm with you. I saw that. That was launching – using the crown of your, your helmet as a weapon, which is exactly what they don't want to do in the NFL. And, and you know, and, and for good reason. And, and, Russell, you bring up Minnesota taking on New England. And, obviously, we would like to see Minnesota get a win over New England and, uh, and us get a win over Cleveland and then see where that puts you in a playoff race, all that kind of stuff. But do you give Minnesota a chance after they played really well against the Packers last Sunday night? Yeah, I do. I give them a chance because they're a better team than New England in the trenches. Okay? They have a better defensive line than the Patriots. They have, even though it's been spotty at times early in the season when Kirk Cousins took his shots and was fumbling left and right, uh, I think they overall have a better offensive line than the Patriots. And we saw in the Super Bowl last year, I'm not saying this game is the Super Bowl, but that's how New England lost the Super Bowl. They got beaten in the trenches last yep. year. I mean, True. Tom Brady threw for 505 yards and they couldn't stop the, the, the Eagles from running the football. Um, one of the, the quiet stats in that game last year, for all Brady's yards and for all Nick Foles' yards, the Eagles ran for 164 yards. So um, that's it. Minnesota, to me, 
coming into this season seem like as talented as any team in this league. Um, but they seem like they kind of had a little bit of a hangover from last year's NFC Championship game on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and that stretched out for a while. I mean, you know, against the Rams and, um, you know, other teams as well, where it just didn't look like the same Minnesota secondary and the, and Minnesota and Everson Griffin was out for a while, but, yep. um, you know, the, the Patriots have laid their share. Now they haven't lost at home. I understand all that. Um, but I would not rule out the fact of Minnesota winning at new England this week. I, I in fact, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. Um, that game last week, that might've been the really the first time. I mean, I know there was a lot of emphasis on what Aaron Rodgers didn't do, right? I'd like to put a little more emphasis on what we saw Minnesota do, and that was play good defense, and Dalvin Cook in the backfield makes a world of difference for that offense. No doubt. He can make that offense pretty mm-hmm. scary, and and we've seen that actually with the Texans' upcoming opponent, and that's Cleveland. When they traded Carlos Hyde to the Jaguars, ironically, the week that we were playing the Jaguars, Nick Chubb stepped in, and all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh, the pieces are coming together. How nervous should the Texans and Texans fans be of the Cleveland Browns this weekend, Russell? Oh, I, I, extremely. Because um, whether people don't think of it or not, Cleveland is in the playoff hunt. They're 4-6-1. and one. Okay? Uh, crazier things have happened. In fact, crazier things have happened this year. Yeah. John, 0 and 3, 8 and 3. 1 and 5, 6 and 5. 1, 2 and 1, 7, 3 and 1. 1 and 2, 8 and 3. I'm just naming the Texans, the Colts, the Steelers, the Patriots. 0 and 2, Seattle. 6 and 5, Seattle. Right in the thick of it. 6 and 5, Seattle, by the way, with wins over Dallas, Green Bay, and Carolina. Exactly. So, um, this can be a streaky league. Um, You know, my Super Bowl pick was Atlanta. Atlanta has lost three in a row. Before that, they won three in a row. Before that, they lost three in a row. I mean, I feel like going Bueller, Bueller, Bueller when it comes to the Falcons. But how you handle a loss is very, very important. And how you handle a team that's starting to feel it. I mean, Cleveland didn't win a road game going back. I mean, they lost 25 in a row. They hadn't won two games in a row. They've done that now. You start knocking off these little things, these little milestones, and you start believing in yourself. And listen, John Dorsey hit a home run early in this draft. Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, and don't forget Denzel Ward, the fourth overall pick, who a lot of people thought they were going to take Bradley Chubb. They waited on their chub, and they got themselves a hell of a running back in the second round. Yeah, no doubt. And the guy they got in the fifth round, too, is a guy that's contributed as well, Jannard Avery. They hit it out of the park, and Baker Mayfield named the a, the AFC Rookie of the Week again. And I think the, the Browns have now accounted for some sort of offense or defensive Rookie of the Week honors, I think it's nine times, between right. those three guys you mentioned, Chubb, Ward, and Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I think everybody in Houston is well aware of of the Browns coming and and I don't want to say fearful of them, but you know definitely respectful of what the Browns are bringing to the table. There's no question. Russell, the game that a, a lot of people will obviously want to see because it's maybe the best matchup this weekend of two AFC powers, and that's Sunday night when the LA Chargers cross the country and go take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh coming off 
a loss to the Denver Broncos, and the Chargers two weeks ago lost to the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. But the Chargers got back on a horse last week with a win. What do you think about this Chargers-Pittsburgh matchup, 1-8-3 team against a 7-3-1 team? Well, I mean, it, I don't think we're going to see Melvin Gordon, uh, which is a big blow for the, for the Chargers. But they're deep at running back. Um, they're deep at wide receiver. They're, they're so solid at the skill positions. They got Joey Boza back a couple of weeks ago. He had two sacks last Sunday uh, against the Cardinals. So there's a lot to be excited for here if you're the Chargers, who are now, after all this, you know, the hullabaloo of Patrick Mahomes, and understandably so, the Chargers are one game out in the AFC West. I mean, think about the, the Chiefs being 9 and 2 and not being able to shake a team. Now, they've also beaten the Chiefs, uh, Chargers, nine games in a row. So. That's a different topic for a different night. They're going to meet on a Thursday night in a couple of weeks. Um, The thing that has mystified me about Pittsburgh the last two weeks is their failure to run the football. And I don't mean the lack of success. I'm talking about the failure, period. Go back and look at the Steelers' rushing attempts the last two weeks. It's almost they're asking Big Ben, Ben Roethlisberger, to carry the load. And, listen, he, he threw a horrific interception. He had two interceptions last week. Um, but just in general, they were sloppy. They've, they've turned over the ball seven times the last two games. So um, can they bounce back and execute and hang on to the football? Um, the Chargers are an, a, a very solid team, and they haven't gotten their due in a lot of regards. But think about what they've done since they were 0-4 last year. They were 9-3, and and now they're 8-3. and They're 17-6. and the last 23 times they've taken the field. I wouldn't be surprised if they came in here and, and Randy, um, won this game. But I think if Pittsburgh is going to win the game, this has to be more balanced offense. This does not have to be Ben Roethlisberger. And think about the games these last two weeks of the Steelers. It's not like they were hopelessly behind. And either one, especially the one last week, they were winning the game up 17-10 after the Juju Smith-Schuster. So, it's almost like kind of tore, you know, maybe overthought the offense a little in terms of throwing the football. They need to get back to that balance that they had, which they had during that that winning streak. No doubt. You can follow my man Russell Baxter on Twitter at BaxFootballGuru, at NFL underscore vibe, V I B E, NFL spin zone, fan sided. My man does it all. Russell, you're the best, my man. Thank you very much for being with me. You got it, John. Talk to you next week. Coming up, it's our men behind the mics. Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans, sitting down with Jim Donovan, the voice of the Cleveland Browns. Up next on Texans All Access. Each and every week, we are fortunate to have our play-by-play voice, Mark Vandermeer, spend a little bit of time with the play-by-play voice in the adjacent booth at NRG Stadium. And this week, it's the Cleveland Browns. And that means a little bit of Jim Donovan, he joined us last year. He is fantastic, giving us some insight on the Browns. And, of course, with the Browns on deck, we went back to the well. And this is Mark with Jim Donovan for our Men Behind the Mic segment. Mark, take it away. Jim, how are you enjoying the recent success of your football team, my friend? Uh, Mark, it's been great. It really has. It's been a couple of really tough years coming into this season. We knew it would be better. Uh, it couldn't get much worse. So um, we – we're fully expecting that the team would kind of improve probably at a slower pace than it's happened. But once they 
inserted Baker Mayfield into the lineup, things have really become a lot of fun to watch, very productive on the scoreboard and in the win column, and things have not looked this bright for the Browns in a long time. What are you seeing in Baker Mayfield? What did you see early, and how is he developing in short order in his rookie season, Jim? Well, you know, Mark, first of all, he was the guy that really wanted to be the number one overall pick in the draft. And, I mean, it meant a great deal to him. And, you know, I know that there were, uh, along with the Browns, there were probably four other teams that were really in need of a quarterback and probably going to go down that avenue in the draft. And so um, I was wondering, you know, did he really want to come here? And uh, because of the situation in Cleveland, coming off a winless year and a one-win year the year before that, but he really did. He wanted to accept the challenge of coming here. He came out and he said, I can't think of anybody better to try and turn that franchise around than, than I can do. And, and I was impressed by that. And from the time he went on the practice field, and especially in training camp, when it was really laid out that he was not going to play at all under their plan, Tyrod Taylor was going to be the starting quarterback. But, Mark, he caught your eye the way he played, no matter who he was out on the field playing with, whether it was second team, third team during training camp. And then once he got in the preseason games, he just jumped out at you that he was really good and it was going to be hard to keep him off the field. So once he went on the field then in a game against the Jets, uh, when the Browns finally won a nationally televised game on Thursday night, um, and he came in and took a very dire situation and turned it into an electric night here in Cleveland, uh, bringing the team back and winning his competitive fire, um, and his progress, he gets better and better every week as he goes out there. He's really accurate, and uh, he's just uh, he's loved by his teammates, and he's, and he's loved by these fans right now. Jim Donovan, voice of the Cleveland Browns, joining us on Texans Radio. How are they protecting him so well? How's that line doing? Because he's not getting hit very often at all. Yeah, there was one point about uh, two or three weeks ago where he was getting hit. And they had gone with a um, an undrafted free agent left tackle at the beginning of the season. Now, those were big shoes to fill, no matter who was going to go in there, Mark, because it was you were taking the place of Joe Thomas, who uh, had opted to retire after having, you know, 10 amazing seasons and a Hall of Fame career. But this kid, Desmond Harrison, who started his career at the University of Texas, and something happened there, and he was out of the program there. He ended up at West Georgia. And the Browns signed him as an undrafted free agent. And as training camp went on, they took on the project of putting him there. And it was okay at the start of the year. But then he started to hit a bit of a wall and and have his problems. And I think then it hit his confidence. It hit him in that pocket, too, that he wasn't playing as well. And the guy that was paying the price for that was Baker Mayfield. So to to really kind of locate what's happened in the last couple of weeks, they took Greg Robinson, who they had brought in, kind of midway through training camp, and he made the team. And Robinson, of course, a former number one draft pick and a very high draft pick at that, has gone in and really done a great job at left tackle. Mayfield feel, feels really safe and comfortable with him playing left tackle, and it's kind of completed the offensive line right now. Boy, Nick Chubb is having a nice year with the five-and-a-half yards per carry. What about him, Jim? Well, he's another you know great story, Mark. I mean, they, the Browns went out in free agency and signed Carlos Hyde, uh, former Ohio State Buckeye, which uh, was very popular back in these parts. And, and they brought him in from the San Francisco 49ers. And just like how they were going to deal with Mayfield waiting behind Tyrod Taylor, 
Chubb was going to wait behind Carlos Hyde. And early in the year, I mean, Hyde was getting all the work. And to be honest with you, he was playing very well. But Chubb was having these amazing performances. I'll give you this one. In Oakland, they're playing the Raiders. Chubb had three carries in the game for over 130 yards. He had touchdown runs of over 40 and 60 in the game. And so Hugh Jackson every Monday was being asked, why are you uh, giving the ball a little bit more to Chubb? And he said, yeah, we're going to do that this week. And the next week would come, and it would only be three more carries. And John Dorsey kind of took matters into his own hands. He wanted Chubb in the lineup, and he traded Hyde to Jacksonville. And since doing that, Chubb has just been really tremendous. I mean, I know you guys had a, had a great run the other night by Lamar Miller of 97 yards. A couple of weeks ago against Atlanta, Chubb had a 92-yarder for a touchdown. They got the Browns out of some bad field position and all the way into the end zone. He has been a great, great pickup for them. Greg Williams and this defense, Jim, what about them? Bill O'Brien was very complimentary, saying that they disguise things. It's hard to know what they're going to do week to week. What do you think of the D? Well, he's done a good job. I mean, he really has. And, of course, now he has the added responsibilities of being the interim head coach. But they were playing really well at the beginning of the season. Now, some of that, Mark, I think is that there was no change at that defensive coordinator position. Greg was here last year. Uh, Miles Garrett, you know, was the former number one overall draft pick of the Browns from a year ago, but was playing on a high ankle sprain um, really throughout his entire rookie year. So you weren't getting the full package of Miles Garrett, but he's healthy this year. But Greg into his second year with these guys really had them, you know, coming up with turnovers, a lot of pressure. Uh, but the turnover number was just amazing because this was a team that didn't get into double digits and turnovers last season through the entire 16 games. And they're midway through the 20s right now. You know, they're right up at the top of the NFL in doing that. They uh, they really made some great moves. I mean, you know, Garrett in his second year is playing really well. There are some other second-year guys that are playing well. They brought Demarius Randall in. They traded for him. Uh, just before free agency opened up, coming in from Green Bay, he kind of solidified the back of the secondary. And they drafted a kid from Ohio State, a local kid from Cleveland, Denzel Ward, with the number four overall pick. And he has played really solid at that cornerback spot. So, you know, Greg into his second year with these guys and some good drafting and some the evolution of some young players, and it's all really working well. They're playing very well. Jim Donovan, voice of the Cleveland Browns, joining us on Texans Radio. Greg Williams, now the interim head coach. So what difference does he make in that chair? And we just talked about what he does on defense, but he's sat in that chair before. So what are we getting from Greg Williams right now? Well, you know, it it kind of, it happens during the week, Mark, more. I mean, it happens on Sunday, but the payoff is on Sunday. But during the week, there's much more detail uh, in practice to, hey, let's get rid of these mental errors that were plaguing them early in the season. There are three or four games, Mark, where the Browns really were in a position to win these games. And I know a lot of teams can say this, but the Browns in particular could say this. And they would allow the game to just slip through their fingers because of really an exorbitant amount of penalties or just mental errors, missing assignments. And when you really trace that back, a lot of that was going on midweek on the build-up to a Sunday on a Wednesday practice, continuing on a Thursday practice. 
Greg Williams has come in and really tightened those practices up. I mean, every player has said the same thing. I mean, these practices are much different. Uh, they're stricter. We get a lot more work done. Uh, there's a lot more yelling than there than there was with Hugh Jackson here, but it's uh, it's paying off. And you can just see that they on Sunday are a much more prepared team than they were, I think, through the first eight games of the season. Jim, we had hard knocks in here three years ago, and I found it to be a very unique experience just doing what I do and being in the building. What was it like for you? I found the Browns hard knocks to be very entertaining. I think they got a lot of good footage for the TV show, maybe not for the Browns situation, but what did you make of it? Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, the Browns, I'm sure, like maybe like the Texans, I know the Browns kind of, you know, kind of stiff-armed it a little bit and said, geez, I mean, you know, I don't know if we really want this, but uh, they really wanted to come in here. It was a good story to tell. I mean, it's a historic football city that's just been craving you know, for the team to show some form of life and improvement and the payoff being some winning. And so that's a great story into itself because, uh, you know, as downtrodden as this fan base has been through a lot of years now since the team has come back, they still keep coming back. I mean, they, they never give up on them, and they're just hoping for a glimmer of hope. So you had that side of the story. But you had a lot of uh, – it was really interesting to watch. I mean, um, and I think that nationally – as the weeks progressed through the five episodes, I think people kind of grew to really like the Browns. I mean, I, I really do. When we go on the road now, I mean, people seem to really like the Browns. And I know there are a lot of Browns fans scattered across the nation, but still I think people really enjoyed watching them and kind of said, you know what, boy, I mean, it just seems like, you know, they're very close to, to tasting some wins and turning this thing around. And I think people kind of started to root for them a little bit. So that was the after effect of it. As it went on, it was like anything else. I think you really noticed it with all the cameras being there and all the microphones and, you know, and people, a lot of technicians running around. But as the days ticked off and you went into the second and the third week, it was kind of like you didn't even realize that they were around. But uh, you were glued to the episode, whatever was going to come up on that particular Tuesday night. Jim, from where you sit, what's your vibe on the game on Sunday as we head into the weekend? Well, the fun part about the Browns is they really are playing well. I mean, their win over Atlanta was as solid a win as I think I've seen them have in many, many years, top to bottom, all three phases of the game. You know, Mayfield played well, Chubb ran the ball well, the offense played efficiently, the defense was terrific. Special teams, which has been a problem for them, they even played very well in that game. Um, the Browns are kind of growing, and they're growing pretty fast now in the last, you know, four or five weeks. I mean, they've won on the road now. They've won back-to-back games. These have been huge obstacles, Mark, for the Browns to get up and over. And now they're starting to, uh, you know, to have good things happen, and they're putting them together, which is a very, very key component to becoming a really good franchise and a good football team. And so it's, it's really fun. I mean, I think people are really excited now to see them play on Sunday to see what they can do this week and what will Baker Mayfield do this week. Because not only are they, you know, doing better on the scoreboard, but they're a lot of fun to watch. I mean, he is a lot of fun to watch play quarterback. I used to really enjoy watching him play in college, and I wondered if it would translate into the NFL. But I have to tell you, I can't get enough of him so far the way he's been playing. He's got to be winning over the city big right now because every week – 
the road is paved with former Browns quarterbacks who were at one point the hope of the franchise. And we just saw Colt McCoy a couple of weeks ago. And we have Brandon Whedon here as a backup, and the list goes on and on. So I know this is not news to you. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is uh, this has been the position that has strangled the football team. It really has. And they've tried it all different ways, Mark. Drafting guys in the first round, drafting guys in the third round, taking these big, you know, college stars and bringing them into the NFL. But usually not the quarterback's fault, just not having enough support system around them to allow them to succeed in the NFL. And you get a lot of broken quarterbacks, broken physically and broken in, uh, and mentally as far as confidence is concerned to, as they walk out of town. So to see a kid come in here, and, and really succeed um, is just uh, that's the brightest spot. That's the brightest spot of the season so far. I think if they have walked out of the year, and uh, and and if this still could happen, Mark, if they walk out of the year and they don't add a you know a couple of more wins onto the win total, but if they walk out of the year and see Baker Mayfield playing every week and continuing to improve, then the year's been a huge success. And the future looks very, very bright. And that will send people off into the offseason with a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation and optimism as we go forward. And that just hasn't been the case here since 1999 when they were reborn. Great stuff there from Jim Donovan, play-by-play voice of the Cleveland Browns. We're going to break. I want to remind you parents, grab your kids and their friends and join us for a free day of play at Levy Park on Monday, December 3rd from 4 to 6 p.m. Play 60 at the Park, presented by Texas Children's Hospital, will feature special appearances by a Houston Texans player, cheerleaders, Toro, and more. Additional information available on HoustonTexans.com events calendar. That sounds like a really fun day. I'll be here working, doing radio, but parents, you can get your kids out for our Play 60 event. All right, coming up, I got two things to do. I got my first community credit unit, first glance, keys to the game, and I got my Texans pick em picks Straight up against the spread. We'll do all that next right here on Texans All Access. All right, Texans fans, we've got a two-way go in this segment. we got two things that we need to do in this segment. Number one, we got to do our keys to the game. Our first community credit union, first glance keys to the game. And then we got to do our Texans pick'em where I pick all games straight up and against the spread. So we have got a lot to do. So I flipped a coin, just like you would, and the coin came up keys first. So let's jump into our first community credit union. First glance, keys to the game as brought to you by FCCU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. Now, let's start on the offensive side of the ball, going against this Browns defense. Now, statistically, this Browns defense, if you just looked at those the, the key stats, run, pass, you know, yardage they've given up, all those kind of things, not going into advanced metrics, and I'm sure on some advanced metrics they're probably, yeah, not probably, but they are better uh, then the numbers appear. But the numbers are really not great for this defense, except for one, one highly significant number, turnovers. They are unbelievable turning teams over. They have created 27 turnovers. 27, 14 interceptions, 13 fumbles recovered. But they're 28th in rushing yards, 29th in passing yards, and 31st in total yards given up. But they counter that with turnovers generated. So let's get into our keys for the Texans' offense. Number one, take care of the football. 
the Browns lead the league in takeaways. They cannot put cheap points up on the board because you've given them the ball or given them field position. You cannot do that. So, take care of the football. I'm not saying don't take chances. In fact, I'm going to get to one here in just a second. But, take care of the ball. Wrap it up. DeAndre Carter, wrap it up on returns. After contact, make sure you're securing the football and make sure that the Texans' offense does not give the Browns' defense the football. Number two, Miles Garrett is an uber beast. They've gone against some of the best pass rushers in the league thus far this year, if you think about it. They've gone against, um, uh, let's see, gone against Demarcus Lawrence, Dallas Cowboys. Then they went against God knows how many guys from the Buffalo Bills. And, and yeah, well, I don't know anybody from the Bills. Well, that's, that's on you because the Bills are pretty good. Then they faced Von Miller and Nick Chubb. They faced Cameron Wake on a Thursday night. They uh, faced Brian Arakpo and Harold Landry the other night for the Titans. Not quite in that class, but still pretty solid. And now they're facing maybe the best athlete of the bunch. And that's Miles Garrett. Now, the Browns will move him around a little bit. They'll bump him inside because he's strong like Clowney. He can go against guards and win against guards. But it's going to take a full team effort on Miles Garrett. His speed is unbelievable. So, Julian Davenport's going to have his hands full. Kendall Lamb, he'll mostly rush from the right side. His right defensive, or the offensive left. So, he's coming, and his speed is immense. So, chips, double teams, anything that the Texans can do to slow him down, they've got to do. Because I don't know that there's anybody else that you go, okay, that guy's okay. Emmanuel Ogba, formerly of Houston, great Houston homeboy, good athlete, but not the rusher that Miles Garrett can be. And even Garrett's not truly polished, but his athleticism is unbelievable. So, if the Texans are one-on-one with him, if they go empty and they're one-on-one, it's Julian or probably Julian. One-on-one with Miles Garrett, Sean's got to get the football out. It's got to be a full-team effort. It's got to be backs. It's got to be tight ends. It's got to be Julian. It's got to be everybody, and in, in, including Deshaun Watson. It's all got to work together to make sure Miles Garrett doesn't change the game. Keep pounding the rock, key number three. Make the front six or seven, have to defend it like Tennessee was forced to. And I saw it in the game against Tennessee. They had Tennessee worn down. Jarrell Casey was struggling to get up off the ground a few times. Number four. Challenge the second-level defenders to cover inside receivers and tight ends in the passing game. Make them have to cover Kiki QT, DeAndre Carter, and the tight ends. I don't think they can do it. Now, Joe Schobert does a decent job of covering up tight ends. But last year, I felt like Deshaun Watson went to Ryan Griffin. He went to the short stuff. And those guys were able to take that and turn that into big plays. But I think the inside receiving game, if you will, ends up being a big factor in this one. Number five, take the profit of the pass game. Kind of works with number four. If an underneath throws open to Sean, take it, move the next down. You don't have to get greedy. Just take what's there. There'll be some things there. They will give it up. They're still young in the secondary. Jabril Pepper's second year. Denzel Ward, rookie. Travis Carey's first year in Cleveland. So they've got some inexperience back in the secondary. They'll give you some stuff. But my guess is they're, they're going to take away deep shots. They're going to give you the underneath. Take the profit. But, key number six, take the shot play when it's there. Take the shot play when it's there. All right, let's flip over to the defensive side. Stopping the Browns offense, number one, make the well, and you've heard me talk about this, the well, the pocket from which Baker Mayfield has to throw. When the Texans did a better job of 
taking the well and clamping it down on Mariota, guess what they did? They sacked him. When they had when they had fractures in it, when one outside rusher got too far upfield, then Mariota could scoot out of there. Baker will do the same thing. Now, he'll scoot out to throw. He'll run a little bit, but he'll scoot out to throw. Mariota was going to scoot out, and he was going to run or make some crazy flip play or whatever. But close the well down on Baker and make his eyes go to the rushers. Number two, bring multiple hats to Nick Chubb. Bring a lot of dudes to Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's going to break tackles. He is strong. He is a Ferrari with an F-150 engine. He is going to be powerful. So you got to bring a lot of dudes to come tackle him. Thankfully, guys like Zach Cunningham have played him before and played him. They played him once a year when he was at Georgia, when uh, Zach was at Vanderbilt. So they know each other a little bit. Number three, challenge the Browns to find Clowney every play because if they have to do that and they're looking for Clowney, look for 90, they're going to lose sight of 99, 59, 95, and all the rest of the guys up front, including 41 and 55. So make them have to find Clowney. Move him around a little bit. I think that always helps. Number four, wide receiver posing as a tight end, David Njoku, is a handful. When he's flexed away from the line of scrimmage, treat him like a receiver. Do not, let him, do not treat him like a tight end. Now, the good thing in that is the Texans personnel lends to that because if the Texans go nickel, if he's flexed away from the line of scrimmage, more than likely they're going to be in 11 personnel, uh, maybe even well, – when he's on the field, it's 11 personnel. But I would, if I'm the Texans, I treat it almost like 10 personnel, which means the Texans are nickel and dime, which means Kareem Jackson, which I, I like that matchup. Other teams can't match up a guy like that with Njoku, but I think you have to, and the Texans can with Kareem Jackson in particular. When he's flexed away, treat him like a wide receiver. Number five, if Mayfield steps out of the pocket, treat him like Chubb, i.e. get him and hit him and hit him hard. Number six, keep rookie wide receiver Antonio Callaway in front all day long. What do I mean by keep him in front? No deep shots. No deep shots to Callaway. Can't let that guy get loose. He is an explosive guy. He's essentially a first-round talent the Browns got later in the draft because he off the field is a mess. And if he keeps it together, the Browns got to steal. But don't let him impact the game by by getting a deep shot behind everybody. The Texans have done a decent job of keeping the deep shots in front lately, and they got to do that again. Baker will take his shots. But if he's got to hold it a little bit longer to try and get those shots, then maybe, maybe not. And that's got to be one thing. Keep it in front. If he's going to throw it down the field, they've got to get pressure with that time that he needs to throw, and then Baker's off target a little bit, then maybe they eliminate that from the game plan. But no deep shots to Antonio Callaway. Those are your first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game. Now, let's get to our Texas Pick'em presented by Train for a chance to win great weekly prizes like autographed items, Texans tickets, or even a cruise. Download the Texans mobile app to play now. With Texans Pick'em, I believe it's only straight up. I, every week, give you my picks straight up and against the spread and I gave you one last night. Well, I gave my buddy one last night when he asked for the picks. Because I picked Dallas straight up. Straight up to upset. No, actually, I picked Dallas to cover the spread. I didn't. With him, I only picked the spread. So I picked Dallas straight I would have picked, picked New Orleans to win close. But Dallas to get inside. Dallas is a dog by 7.5 at home. Got a win last night, 13-10. Boy, that was, that was a pull. That game reminded me of the Texans game in some sense. 
in that it was hard-hitting, physical on both sides, and low-scoring. I mean, both both games, primetime games, and dudes were just getting blasted. Man, that was real for a guy that played a lot of defense in his career. That was really fun to watch. So I, I'm one to know, at least that you know of. <laughs> but I've got people that vouch for this. So here we go. Let's start with Sunday's noon kicks. Now, Houston, Cleveland, you know how I am. I don't pick against my heart or my head or anything there. The Texans are favored by five and a half over Cleveland. Five and a half. So I'll let you decide what you want to do with that one. You're a Texans fan, so you better pick them to win, as I would. The Texans could be favored by 35. I'd still pick them. To cover the spread because I can't go against heart, head, all that kind of stuff. So, eliminate that game. We'll do the rest of them. Let's go. Arizona goes to Green Bay. And Green Bay is favored by 14 and a half. This is the stretch run for Green Bay. I think Arizona is Arizona is going to be looking for players that can help them in 2019 going forward. Not to say that Arizona's tanking in any way, but they've got to see some young players get on the field. And I think that is going to be to the detriment of the Cardinals the rest of the way. Green Bay to cover the 14 and a half win by by 15 or more wow but green bay is going to do it at home i think this is a must it's a must win it's a must respond to aaron Rodgers. it's a must respond for aaron Rodgers kind of game so let's go green bay to cover that 14 and a half chicago goes to the giants the giants are falling out of the race in the nfc east so when i did this i did think new orleans was going to win which would have brought dallas back to six and six a win here for the Giants would have gotten them to four and eight, two games. And then they I think they've got the Cowboys coming up, so they could have had a shot. I don't know how much the Giants will look at this and say, eh, we're still in this now. They had that kind of that verve, if you will, a couple weeks ago. I don't know if they still have it, but I do think the Giants at home will make it tough for the Bears. The Bears gotta go on the road again after a Thanksgiving Day win. I think the Bears will win this, but the Giants are a four-and-a-half-point underdog at home. So I'm thinking it's close. So New York to cover, Chicago to win. Carolina goes to Tampa Bay. Carolina beat by Seattle at home, and that one stung. And Tampa Bay's played a little bit better with Jameis Winston. Not great, but a little bit better, but still four and seven. Must win for Carolina, so I'm taking Carolina to cover the three-and-a-half and win on the road at Tampa Bay. Baltimore going to Atlanta. Joe Flacco still injured. That means Lamar Jackson going to Atlanta. Atlanta's favored by one and a half at home. I do not like that. I think Baltimore lets Lamar Jackson loose on the road. Baltimore, if Lamar Jackson stays at quarterback, ends up being a team I don't want to see in the playoffs. Just saying that out front. Yes, he will struggle at some point, but it didn't happen right now, and he is scary with the ball in his hands. I've said this for years. I said it once draft season started. He was the kind of guy you wanted to have at quarterback because of what he could do with the ball in his hands. And I'm going with him and the Ravens to beat Atlanta on Sunday down in Atlanta. The Rams go to Detroit. Detroit's a dog by 10.5. I'm taking Detroit to cover. The Rams win. The Lions will get inside that 10.5 somehow, some way. Denver goes to Cincinnati on a little bit of a hot streak. And as such, they're favored by 4.5. The flip side of that is Cincinnati is playing a string out. Andy Dalton hurt. Jeff Driscoll will be the quarterback. They've got a mess on defense. Guys are banged up. A.J. Green might play this week. Don't really know exactly what the status will be in the game. If he does play, how many plays he will play, etc. So I'm going with Denver. They've been feeling it a little bit. Two big wins. Chargers on the road. Steelers at home. Now they go on the road and favored 
Let's see how they deal with success, but I'm going with Denver to beat Cincinnati. Buffalo goes to Miami. Not really sure what to make of Miami. Really not. But I'm going to go with them in kind of a last chance, last house on the left sort of thing. Miami's 5-6. and six. They still get an outside shot at this thing. They're favored by 4.5. I'm going to take Miami to win. Would not surprise me at all if Buffalo pulled the mild upset. But I'm going with Miami. Last house on the left. This is the last one they've got. Indianapolis goes to Jacksonville. The Jags are favored. I'm sorry, the Jags are a four-and-a-half-point underdog at home. Who would have thought that after week two against New England? Jacksonville will have a new, def- uh, new offensive coordinator. It will have a new quarterback. I think that will help, but not enough. Indianapolis stays hot before they come in here. They get the win and the cover on the road. I'm sort of picking that, hoping it goes the other way. It would be really nice if Jacksonville could rise up and play well. The Jets take on Tennessee. Tennessee's favored by eight-and-a-half at home. They'll bounce back and win this game, but I don't think it's by more than eight and a half. I think Tennessee will get a touchdown win. That means the Jets get inside the eight and a half point number. So let's go Jets to cover, Tennessee to win. Kansas City goes to Oakland. Oakland's a mess. Kansas City is coming off a bye week. I think Kansas City resting up. Defensively, they'll play a little bit better. I think Kansas City covers that 14 and a half on the road and beats Oakland in the afternoon. Minnesota goes to New England. This is kind of fun because they play every four years, and this is a very unique matchup at Gillette Stadium. But I'm going with New England. They're favored by five and a half. Love to see Minnesota win this one. Don't think it will. I think the Patriots will walk out of there with a W by a touchdown or more. San Francisco goes to Seattle. San Francisco has been up and down since Jimmy Garoppolo uh, was injured. They go to Seattle. Seattle favored by ten and a half. They got a huge win against Carolina last week. I don't think there's a letdown. I think Seattle continues to rise. They'll ride the running game and win this one by more than 10.5, so Seattle to win and to cover. And your Sunday night game has huge implications on the AFC playoff race. The Chargers go to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh favored by only 3.5 at home, so about even as Vegas sees it. We're going with Pittsburgh to bounce back after that loss in Denver. Would like to see the Chargers win this one, but don't think it's going to happen. Pittsburgh's going to get the win and the cover. And then Monday night, Washington goes to Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia wins this game. They're favored by a touchdown, but I do think Washington makes it close. Physically, Washington will match Philadelphia. But I think in the end, Carson Wentz just does one more thing than Colt McCoy will do. Philadelphia gets the win, but Washington gets inside that touchdown underdog spread. All right, we got one final segment, and it's our players segment. So we're going to hear from Kareem Jackson in KJAC TV, a.k.a. Player Reporter, and also former NFL player and current Texans GM, Brian Gain with the game plan right here on Texas All Access. All right, let's get it going. Our final segment is our players segment, and we kick it off every single week with KJAC TV, a.k.a. Player Reporter, brought to you by Arctic. The official coolers and tumblers of the Houston Texans. Visit RTICcoolers.com. Arctic coolers, overbuilt, not overpriced. Here it is, KJAC TV. And we're back with another one. KJAC TV, and we're here with my guy, Sunil. My guy, Mance. Which teammate would be the best Uber driver? I'm gonna have to go with Deshaun. Uh, you know he he's uh you know he pay attention to details. You know I don't think he'll get any car accidents. He gonna focus. He ain't gonna be on his phone. All right. Uh, I don't know about that. One. I see D4 on his phone all the time. I'm gonna go with DJ Dunny, man. DJ Dunny, the best Uber driver. I'm gonna get that. You already know he's gonna be playing that fire. So yeah, he gonna spin it. Probably be Lamar. Lamar be the best. Why you say that? He always, yo, he drive pretty good, you know. 
You don't turn the music up. He ain't on the phone. All right, well, who will be the worst Uber driver? B-Mac. Benardrick. McKinney, number 55. Number 55. B-Mac got whips, though. I just want to ride with him just because he got whips. I'm going to say Kendall Lamb. You know, he's Kendall a, Lamb? He's a little bit of a fast driver. You know, and I like to keep my cars a little slower. I'm a bit of a slower-paced type of driver. You know, I'm not really a Houston right, right. Okay. Yeah. I think I'd like him to drive me then because I, I got to get there. I don't want to be slow poking around. I'm going to have to go with Kiki. You know, uh, he a little short, so, you know, <laughs> it depends what kind of car he in. Nah, but uh, I'm going to go with Kiki. All right, we can get him a booster seat. I'm going to just get right to I'm I'm going to say you'll be the worst Uber driver on the team. I, yeah, I seen you driving. You got a need for speed. Man, I got a license, man. That don't mean you can drive. They give everybody license. They got professional drivers that drive fast. All you got to do is click the right answers on that test. They give everybody a uh, driver license. <laughs> Uh, All right, man. KJAC TV, man. We out. (laughs) There's always good stuff coming out of KJAC TV, a.k.a. Player Reporter, sponsored by Arctic. All right. It's time for the game plan. If you're wondering, wait a second. This is a player segment. Well, yeah. Brian Gain used to be a former NFL player. He is now the current GM. And it's time for Mark Vandermeer to spend a few minutes with the GM of your team, the Houston Texans. Brian Gay. Brian, congratulations on eight in a row, but let's start here. Very emotional weekend and evening leading into the game, obviously the game itself, but your thoughts on honoring Mr. McNair and just the whole evening going into it and living through it. Yeah, so first and foremost, uh, heartfelt condolences to the McNair family for their loss. Uh, Bob McNair was a special person, a special football man. Uh, Just thanks and gratitude to have the work under him. And to have known him, um, so supportive of, of Bills and my vision of the type of football program that we wanted to build here uh, and fully supported that. Uh, so much respect for how he lived his life, his influence on so many. So many people have approached me and and, and actually thanked me to, to pass that on to the McNair family, just, or just being a citizen and just being around the neighborhood and around town for bringing football back to Houston. And I thought that was very touching. Uh, but he's influenced so many people in so many good ways, uh, done so much for the greater good of the city of Houston, um, always admired his patience, his grace, his intelligence, his kindness, um, very, very genuine person. He was a great listener. Anytime Bill and I had something to discuss as related to football matters here in our organization, he was a wonderful listener and fully supportive of, of the visions that we wanted to implement and and he was a great family man to see him with uh, with his kids and with his grandkids. It was neat to watch. And I think it hits everybody when you took the field and you realize he wasn't going to be there on the sidelines before the game. And that was a, a daunting moment e- equally for me. But I thought what better way to honor such a good man who was so supportive of the team and the organization than, than finding a way to win versus a divisional opponent and to do it in a convincing manner. Brian, you and Bill working together and Cal as chairman, Jamie Roots as president, it seems like you guys really have this thing down, I would say, in terms of alignment, your vision. You talked about that previously, but without Mr. McNair, Cal had said the vision goes on that he had for the franchise, and you talked about your vision for what's going on between the lines. So you must feel good about that moving forward. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Bill and I have great communication with Cal, and we, we try to keep him fully informed on all the football decisions that we want to make. And Cal Cal is very supportive of of those things that that we want to do. So communication is key with any relationship. So we we fully communicate 
with Cal, and uh, we understand that that's a critical, critical, important part to succeeding, and being philosophically aligned on on how we want to do it, and, and being in agreement on how we want to build football program, football culture. Uh, the types of players that we want to find and the type of environment that we want to build here. We want to create an environment conducive to winning, and we can't do that without the support of the McNair family, and they've been wonderful in that regard. The game itself, you open up, it's 10 nothing before you know it, but you were able to get a lot of momentum going, and it, the running game is working so well for you lately. The discipline in running the football seems to have been paying big dividends lately. We've ran the ball well, well here in recent weeks. Uh, you know, This past game, it goes to the offensive line. When you go back and you look at the tape, the offensive line, the tight ends, even the receivers, and the backs who weren't getting the ball, I felt like it was a total team effort or 11 guys or 10 guys on the offensive side of the ball minus the quarterback all participating in the success of the run game. There was one caveat, though. I felt like our running backs finished runs. They got yards after contact. They got they got some of that hidden yardage, and when they got to the second level, they were sure to get first downs. So I was happy because there was an inside-outside run presence. There was good balance as it related to that. We had some success on early down runs um, and some key moments where we had to, you know, got to have it moments. We were able to, to get some, some chunk, chunk runs as well. We had some explosive runs. So I felt like we kind of did a little bit of everything in the run game. We had long runs. We had some short yardage runs. We had some inside runs. We had some outright outside runs. So there was good balance in that regard. Interesting on defense, too, because Mariota has that completion streak going, yet they're not getting a whole lot done offensively. It was kind of a unique dynamic that way with their passing game. You were able to stop their run first and foremost, and I know they like to do that. Yeah, and that was a critical part to the success of the game plan was knowing that they, they have a lot of success when they have the ability to run the football and anytime you have the ability to run the football, it leads to success in the play-action pass game, which lends to the strengths of what Marcus Mariota does. But the one place that I do point to was the red zone. I think we were 0 for, they were 0 for 2 in the red zone as it relates to our red zone defense versus their red zone offense. So I was proud of our defense for stepping up in that moment. The fourth and one that was critical inside the plus 10 uh, or the plus 5 area to come up with that stop in that moment. I thought that was a critical point in the game. Showed good mental toughness because they had been driving the ball. So I really point to the red zone defense. That was a place of improvement that we had to, to get better at, and we did that. What are you seeing in the development of Deshaun Watson here? Because in week two, you had that loss to the Titans, had the ball late, no timeouts, very touchy situation trying to get into scoring range with that little time left. But He's handled those situations so well lately, including against the Titans late in the first half. That field goal drive was really well run by him. I think with each game that goes by, you see him stacking experiences. You see him stacking some situational experiences in games, whether it be from behind, playing with a lead, uh, managing down and distance uh, scenarios that occur in the game. Uh, certain circumstances and, and situations that occur in the game. So I think he's stacking experiences as it relates to situational game management, so he's getting better every week at that. But ball protection, he's been improving in that area in terms of securing the ball, making good decisions, uh, distributing the ball the ball to the right players, getting us into the right plays. So a lot of progress being made, and, and we're happy about that. It's got to be satisfying, at least relative to the first three games with Demarius Thomas. You make the acquisition. He plays well against Denver. Bill O'Brien blamed himself for not having any catches for Thomas in the Washington game, but against the Tennessee Titans in his Houston, Texas debut, Thomas has two touchdown catches, and clearly Watson and he seem to have something going on. Yeah, there there were two great plays and two great catches by Demarius Thomas, and I'll also add there were two great throws. That uh, that Deshaun made. So what I liked is, is is what I like about Demaris is he's got a different skill set perhaps than what what uh, what Hopkins offers. You know, just the height, the length, 
about the catch radius. Uh, he, he can catch the contested catch just like uh, Hopkins can. But what I like about Demarius is like those those two plays that he caught. There were some critical moments of the game. Like we we had there were gotta have it plays, and came up in those situations and those circumstances in, in a big way. So we were proud about that, and we're hoping to see more good things like that in the future. I talked to you last week about DeAndre Carter, but he continued to show up for you, emerging as a real nice return man for you. And I know he had the fumble, but you overcame that by the recovery, and he had to fill in at wide receiver for you as well, so he's versatile. Yes. So what he offers is he's a you know, a backup receiver for us, can play outside, can play inside, and be a starting returner. But he can be a position player as well on top of being the returner. So he had to go in and do that here in the second half for us. Made a critical catch to keep a drive alive, to continue to burn the clock there. In the return game, the one thing that stands out to me is he's decisive, makes a decision and gets north and south. He's not as much an east and west uh, runner as it relates to the return game. We like that. There's some conviction. He's got good vision. He's got natural instincts. He can feel the ball. He has enough quickness and speed. He can make the first man miss so he can gain yards. and You don't have to block them all up on his own. So we're happy about his promise and potential. What are you seeing with the Cleveland Browns? Because if there was ever a situation where a record was irrelevant, this seems to be it. They're playing so well lately. They look completely different than they did earlier in the season. Yeah, they're going to be a handful. And uh, we'll earn the right to win here Sunday by what we do in preparation for next Sunday. So another team who's got some, some level of, of playoff hopes alive in, in terms of the games that are left here. But for us, you know, it's the, the month of December. And the month of December is critically for critical for us because we, we feel the, the best teams play their best football here in the month of December. We went 3-0 and in the month of November. That was critically important to us. But now December starts, and it's time for us to start playing like a like a team that, that's, that's in first place. And, and what we're playing for right now is the AFC South, and we're playing for an eight. We're chasing the AFC South title, and uh, we need to play with, with conviction that way. So we have a lot at stake here, and equally Cleveland does because they're trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. So this is going to be a battle and going to be a tough test for us. No doubt about that. Texans, Browns, 12 o'clock, right here at Energy Stadium. We will see you there, everybody. Thanks for participating. Thanks for listening. You are the best. We'll see you on Sunday. And as always, go Texans.